Well, this is the one time of year that uh, Christ gets some press. Uh, he, uh, he gets some focus, even in an American society, whether historically, religiously, in art. Uh, it's the time of year where uh, we pay attention. And in fact, uh, uh, newspapers and magazines, pretty much periodicals, have found that if you paste Jesus on the cover of a magazine, it sells really well. And uh, it's interesting how America acts that way. And so uh, a lot of times during this time of the year around Easter, uh, you see Jesus on the cover of Time or uh, on the cover of uh, the New Yorker or wherever it might be, talking about maybe the historical Jesus, uh, talking about Jesus' role in society today. And uh, it makes money. And you find it even in in, uh, productions on TV. Uh, The Bible, uh, the production did really well on TV. Uh, call it a mini-series or whatever you might call it, and now they're coming out with A.D., kind of the next step. So there's this sense that there's a deep well in the American psyche about Jesus. There's a sense of a cultural connection to who Jesus is. A warm feeling that comes when I sing songs about Jesus, or I think about him, or I talk about him. There is this deep spirituality in American culture. And in fact, uh, 90% of Americans still would say that they believe in heaven. And over 80% believe that they are going there. Even people that are non-religious would say that they believe in heaven. 80% of non-religious people say that there is a heaven. So still, there is this cultural sense of Jesus in America. And some might say we live in a Christian nation. And then when we live in the valley here in Appleton, we live in a very religious culture. And add Easter on top of that, man, we are doing well right now. So really, by process of osmosis, just being absorbed by all these things around us, we should know who Jesus is. We should have a connection with him. We should be part of the kingdom of God because we live in America, because we live in the valley, because we are on Easter morning here. But that is a question I want to ask us today. Who are the ones that are really a part of the kingdom to come? How do you know if you're a part of the kingdom to come? Is it by process of osmosis and being around all these things? I think that Easter morning, we should probably know, shouldn't we? We should probably find out if Are we really part of the kingdom of God? Do we know that we are part of this kingdom? I think Easter is a time to figure that out. So let's do that this morning. Let's see what the scripture says about this exact thing. So look with me together in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. Please pay attention as we read God's word. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. 
Then he will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. The gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, a tough teaching on an Easter morning. God, give us the courage and ability to hear it and to be able to be transformed by it. Your son's name, amen. Well, let me give a little inside scoop about Easter morning as a pastor. This is supposed to be, rule of thumb, your best sermon. It's supposed to be the best one. And this is the one that you're not supposed to scare visitors away, right? Because a lot of visitors come, right? And uh, so you want to make it nice and fun and, and relatable and teachable and all those things. Oh, man. This is where our church culture collides with this idea. Uh, if you didn't know, our, our name again, Emmaus Road, it comes from the book of Luke. And it's a story about um, a couple of disciples following Jesus along the road. And Jesus opens the scripture to them. And uh, again, we believe that the Bible is important here at Emmaus Road. And we believe the Bible, um, no matter where it is, is relevant to whether you've been to every Easter service for your whole life, or maybe this is your first one. We believe the Bible is relevant for both those groups. And also, what we do here at Emmaus Road is we just preach through a book, okay? And we're in the book of Luke right now, and we'll go through it all the way uh, until the summertime. And uh, we try not to just jump around. And what happened this morning is we landed on this passage. Awesome. Uh, but the thing is, I see how Jesus opened the scriptures on that Emmaus Road story. And what he did was, he opened the Old Testament scriptures and talked about the prophets and what was told. And what he said is that the prophets, the Old Testament, all the Bible points to what I have done, my death and my resurrection. And it is my belief that the whole Bible is telling one story. The story of God's rescue for humanity through Jesus Christ. So I would hope that every Sunday I preach resurrection because that is the story of the word of God. But today specifically, um, the passage is tough. It is a hard saying, but I think it's an equal opportunity offender. (laughs) It's going to offend those that maybe it's your first time coming to an Easter service. To offend you that have been an Easter maybe every single Sunday. So let's look at the word together, shall we? And see what it might say to us. Well, we open and we see that uh, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. At this point, Jesus' ministry is popular. 
He has done these amazing things in the northern part of Israel. He has healed people from disease. He has taught amazing things. He has actually risen people from the dead. And it is crazy what's happening. And the crowds are following him. And now they see that Jesus is moving from the northern part of Israel to the southern part. And the southern part is where the capital is or the religious center of Israel is. And it's Jerusalem. And see, people are following him because they say, here is the king, here is the appointed one that is finally going to take his message from, you know, kind of the countryside of northern Israel and take it to the city center, to Jerusalem. He is going to come and rule. And we are going to come in as he overthrows the existing government there now. And see, this is what people are doing. They're riding on the momentum of Jesus. And they're thinking, here we are. We are going to come with the true king. We are going to be saved through him. And if we time it right, we will rule with him. And this is where this question comes. And you can imagine what one of these followers is saying when he asked this of Jesus. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? (laughs) you can imagine him thinking, oh God, I'm just wondering when we come in there and take over, um, are we going to be annihilating everyone there? Is it just going to be us or is everyone going to be a part of this too? (laughs) Are we, because we're part of the few, are are we going to be having others with us? Is it going to be all of Israel or is it going to just be us and these disciples right now that are going to reign? But Jesus of course, reverses things about what we think of the kingdom of God. He just turns it on his head and he's done this time and time again. See, people have a view of what the kingdom looks like and Jesus changes it. What does he say? Blessed are the poor. Those that are sick are the ones that have come from, not the healthy. Those that need a doctor, those that are suffering, those that are the cast out ones are the ones that have come for. See, the kingdom that Christ is establishing is reversal of what these people think. And just before this passage, he says, the kingdom comes not upon horses and chariots. It comes small like a mustard seed and it grows and makes large like a tree where Birds and ravens, meaning other nations, will come and perch upon it. And now Jesus is going to even surprise those that are following him about what the kingdom is. And the surprise is this. Who will actually be in the kingdom? See, this is a question that Israel asked for a long time. Who is going to be in the kingdom and who is not? It's a question that was asked throughout the history of Israel? And it's a great question. And uh, there's many debates about it. Uh, Many people believe that all the people of Israel would be a part of the kingdom of God or whatever eschaton or the end times would be that when heaven came, Israel would be a part of it. But there would just be maybe a few exceptions. You know, the heretics or those that are really, really bad. Those people might be out. But for the most part, your status your pedigree, your nationality defined whether you would be a part of the kingdom. And now the ones that are following Jesus are picking back on that idea. Our pedigree is that we follow Jesus. 
Our status is that we are around him. So therefore, if we are around him, we will therefore be in the kingdom. Well, the Pharisees um, had a firmer line than others about who would be the kingdom or not. They were a little bit more harsh. And they said it wasn't just based on status, whether you'd be a part of the kingdom of God. It was based on your performance. If you behaved well, if you followed rules, that is what would allow you to be part of the kingdom of God. And again, this is part of what those that are following Jesus are also thinking. Yeah, we are obedient to you, Christ. We follow you. We are around you. So because we are close to you, we also belong. But this is the great reversal and the surprise. I don't know what Jesus is thinking. Why would he say such things to his followers? Why would he be so harsh? And he is harsh. He paints a picture for them. Look with me together. Verse 24, and we'll go down. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Here are the people that are following Jesus that have eaten with him, that have dined with him, that have heard his preaching in the streets, and now he is telling them, many of you will not be a part of my kingdom. I love my community group. They uh, give me good insights for the sermons, and we go before and we talk about it together, and we have a great wordsmith in our community group, Eric Keelish, who's a writer. And he's able to give alliteration well. And he said this, and I'm going to piggyback on what he said in our group. He said, Jesus, it seems like he's saying this, proximity isn't certainty. Proximity isn't certainty. Just because you're around me, just because you're near me, doesn't mean that you are actually Assured to be a part of the kingdom of God. Um, Aaron and I uh, were uh, in the Atlanta airport and we were uh, traveling on the tram in Atlanta airport. And uh, it's where you go from terminal to terminal. And uh, in uh, our tram, just maybe about from me to Adam right here, you know, it's 10 feet, 15 feet, is Chloe Grace. Okay, if you don't know Chloe Grace, she's an actress. She's in movies like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Hugo, Muppets Most Wanted, and another movie I can't even name because it's got a bad name in it. So, um, but uh, that's Chloe Grace, and we're right near her. And, uh, you know, we're, you know, Aaron's like texting, I'm right next to Chloe Grace, and all these things, and it's so cool. And uh, it's amazing what's happened over time of our exposure to Chloe Grace, okay? And it's moved from, like, um, just being near her to, oh, man, we kind of brushed up against her to we're acquaintances with her. Now we're friends. And now it seems we're like BFFs with Chloe Grace, right? And it works a little bit like this. When we see a movie, or Aaron sees a movie with Chloe Grace in the movie, she's like, I know her. 
Like, we are friends. You know that? And uh, we had people at her house and we were watching a movie and she was in it. I, I know her, you know? But that's just, it's ridiculous, isn't it? So just because you are next to Chloe Grace in proximity to her doesn't mean you have a relationship with her, Aaron. You know, you can't go to Chloe's house and go, I'm here, let me in. It doesn't work that way. You see, proximity is not equal to relationship. It's not certainty of being in the house. You know, we are very good in the valley of doing this. We slap on a label of ourselves. Oh yeah, I'm Catholic. I'm Lutheran. I'm whatever. I'm a Christian. Just slap on the label. And we say, I've done the the things, right? I I got baptized. Um, I, I had my wedding in a church. You know, when family members die, we do it, the funeral in front of church. We even put a cross up there for, you know, their stone, their memorial stone. I'm good. And we even take it further. We say, oh, I I actually am so close to God that I take communion. That I partake in him. You know, I, I come on Easter morning. I come Christmas Eve. And there's such a trap here that we're so close. We think we're so close, but we are so far from Christ. Now I know what maybe some of you will say here. Well, good thing I'm not a C&E Christian, right? I'm here even on you know, the service right after Christmas. I'm even here then, you know, that no one's here, you know. I'm here when, you know, all the pomp fades away. I am more than that C&E Christian. I got a Christian pedigree, you know. I went to Christian school. I'll even slap on the label reformed. I'll go to Christian camp. I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. I'm an evangelical But like Jesus has said to them, just because you are the son of Abraham, just because you might have status and pedigree, it doesn't mean that you are in the kingdom of God. Your status doesn't get you here. Your performance doesn't get you here. In fact, it'll be those that you don't think are here, those from the north and the south and the east and the west, those that are the least, people that you not expect that will actually be part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on in his illustration and talking about what this looks like and he paints a picture. He paints a picture for these people that are hearing. And, uh, you know, it's of a house and being in the house and eating a meal. And then those that are outside the house and you hear the idea of gnashing and wailing of teeth. And I think Jesus is painting a picture of what um, the celebration was around Passover among Israel and the people 
there at Passover. So if you know, don't know, Passover was celebrated among the Israelites and they would have a feast in the house and people would come over. And it was a celebration of what happened, their freedom from Egypt. And um, in that freedom, what happened was they would take, you know, a lamb or a goat or an animal and they would shed it, this blood, and they would put on the door frames of their house the blood. And what happened in Egypt? That the Spirit of God came and swept through Egypt. And if you had that blood painted on your door, that Spirit would pass by you. But if you didn't, the firstborn son would die. So literally, there was wailing going on while people feasted during this Passover. And that is the picture of what the Israelites would have. Of I'm in the home, I'm eating, I'm fellowshipping, I am in this place while other people are suffering. And now Jesus reverses it on them. And he says, no, you are the one on the outside like the Egyptians. And the Egyptians, people from the south and the north and the east and the west, are on the inside. Could you imagine such a picture being painted for you? That a celebration that you celebrate over and over again, one that says, I am part of the kingdom, I am part of the feast. No, she says, you're not a part of this feast. Instead, you're on the outside. And do you know why you're on the outside? Because you believe it's status and you believe that it's tradition. You believe that it's culture that saves you. Don't you know that blood on the door, that blood that passed you over, do you know what that pointed towards? It pointed towards me. I am the lamb that saves it's not your tradition that saves. It's nothing like that. Israel, don't you know that my Old Testament, the Old Testament points towards what I do. I am the lamb. Behold the lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. And you, Israel, will not trust in me. Instead, you will trust in your traditions. And for that reason, the nations around you will come in and you, many of you, will not. So that is the picture that Jesus is painting here. <laughs> I, I can just hear the stories. I, you know, I went to church on Easter morning and the pastor gave me fire and brimstone on Easter. You know, what is this guy thinking? I hear, I know, when you hear gnashing of teeth and wailing, um, it many times gives a connotation of heaven and hell, okay? I just want to say this. I want to give a little apologetic on this. First of all, Jesus does not mention heaven or hell in this passage. Neither is mentioned, okay? In fact, it's the kingdom of God, okay? And I think what Jesus is doing is he wants to give us a glimpse of his kingdom played out into eternity. And you see, he has given us glimpses of that already. What he's seen is he has allowed people to be with him, eating with him. And he said, these are the people that I want to eat with me and that get it. Prostitutes that wipe my feet with their hair. Um, Sinners and tax collectors that invite me over to their house and realize that I'm doing wrong. People that are crippled and lame and sick. Those are the people he's showing to the Pharisees and those other people. These are the people that I want to feast with. This is a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. And we've said this over and over again. If we, the book of Luke, the main point is this. I have come 
to seek and to save what is lost. Jesus has come for the lost. I think C.S. Lewis puts it really well in describing heaven and hell. And he says this. He says, if we die, we don't end. Right? If we die, we don't end. Our spirit lives on and extends to eternity. You see, let's call heaven existence with God. And we'll call hell absence of God. And Lewis says, you know, what, how you live now is just extended to eternity. So if you want to be present with God, it will happen to eternity. And if you are absent from God, it will happen to eternity. It just plays out. The trajectory just goes and on and on and on. And Lewis says this, you see, hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. It's the ability to live the way that you want to. The ability to live without God. The ability to say, I can do it on my own. It's allowing people to just do that for eternity. Versus those that say, I'm going to choose God for eternity. And Jesus is saying, I'm just showing a glimpse now of those that are lost that say that I need me. And I'm showing that this is the way it's going to be for eternity. And don't think that I, Lewis is just making this up or I'm making it up. Romans 1 says it correctly. It says, God gave them up to their desires. You see, the thing is, I think if we are just left to our own devices for eternity, it will be hell. I don't know what that looks like, but I don't want to be on that trajectory. So therefore, how can we be certain? How can we be certain that we are part of the kingdom of God? I think it's one word in this passage. Look with me, verse 24. Strive. Strive to enter. You see, strive was an athletic term. It meant to compete or even to its extent to agonize. And here's the thing. If I live in a world like this that is broken and fallen, I will agonize over this broken world and desire for a kingdom to come. If I believe this world is not the way it's supposed to be, if I believe the way I'm living is not the way it's supposed to be, I will agonize for God to come into this world and even more so come into my life. Hear me, why did the poor, the lame, the sinner cling to Christ? Because they agonized over this broken world and they realized, I need you, Jesus. And the thing is, when they cried out to Jesus, they didn't say, I just want to be close to you, Jesus. They say, I just want to be in proximity to you. No, they wanted to touch him. They wanted to worship him. They wanted to wash his feet with their hair. They didn't want to be close to him. They didn't want proximity to him. They wanted to be transformed by him. See, certainty doesn't come in proximity. But certainty comes in captivity 
of Christ in our lives. Certainty doesn't come by proximity. It comes by being captivated by him. And you see, when Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost, those are people that say, I don't just want to be close to you, Jesus. I want to be transformed by you. I want to be changed by you. I want to be different. And the only way I can be is by you entering my life and changing me. And I will agonize that I am living the way I'm not supposed to. I will repent. I will change. I will say, God, I cannot live this way. I need you to make me different. Oh man, is this the Easter message? (laughs) Jesus risen from that. Is this the positive message I need? This doesn't sound very good. It's making me less assured in my faith. This isn't an assurance message, Dan. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm glad that this passage is preached this morning. I hope you agonize. I hope you struggle. I hope you strive. I hope that so that it will drive you to a true assurance, a true salvation. The truth is all of us strive. All of us are fighting over something and wanting something. The question is, will it deliver salvation to us or not? I'm sorry, I I watch this movie every March. Okay, so you just got to deal with it, okay? I watch Hoosiers every March, okay? It's basketball time, right? Come on, people. You got to watch Hoosiers this time. And if you want to see a story that kind of illustrates what I say, it's this story. See, here's this coach, this washed up coach, Coach Dale, who's in Indiana in the 50s. And you see that he used to be this major college coach. And he was a winner and a champion. But he got kicked out of coaching because he punched one of his own players. And it's 20, 30 years later. He's been in the military. He's an older man. And now he comes to this small, small school in Indiana. A high school. To coach again. And there's this one player, Jimmy Chitwood, who's like the man. Mr. Indiana Basketball. And if he really wants his team to win, he needs Jimmy to play for him, right? And the scene in this movie that Jimmy is outside, you know, the farms of Indiana, and it's a dirt court with the basketball hoop, and Jimmy is just shooting hoops. And he doesn't miss one of them, right? The whole scene. Just makes every single one of the hoops shots. And Jimmy's really quiet, so he doesn't talk at all. And Coach Dale, he just is doing all the talking, and he says this, he says, you know, in the 10 years that I coached, I never met anybody who wanted to win as badly as I did. I'd do anything I had to do to increase my advantage. Anybody who tried to block the pursuit of that advantage, I'd just push them out of the way. Didn't matter who they were or what they were doing. But that was then. And that is why I can tell you, Jimmy, I don't care if you play or not. You see, you see a changed man. A man that says, my salvation isn't in basketball. And you know what it allowed him to do? If you see the Dennis Hopper's in the movie, you see Dennis Hopper is the drunk of town. 
It allows this coach to make the town drunk his assistant coach. Because he realizes that God comes for the least and the lost. He comes for people like that. You see, if you want to know if you are part of the kingdom of God, one way you can tell is how you realize that you need grace as much as everyone else. That you would see that everyone is in that boat and there will not be judgment. There would be repentance on your own part. They'd be seeing that my pedigree or my abilities or my status or my performance is not what gets me in. Instead, what gets me in is ultimately the grace of Jesus Christ. See, we long to sit at peace, at comfort in the kingdom of God. But it doesn't happen by just being close to Jesus. It doesn't happen by being here on Easter morning. It doesn't happen by getting baptized in the church or having communion. It doesn't happen by that. It happens by being captivated and changed by him. And that is why Paul can write and point to the cross. And I'll close with this from the scriptures from Romans chapter 6. And this is where we look to the empty tomb, to the resurrection. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If you let Jesus captivate you and take your life over, then you will be risen like him and you will feast with him in the kingdom of God. Are you certain? Do you know him? Has he taken over your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you through your Son paint a picture of us what the kingdom of God will look like, a feast, a celebration. God, in the angst of this world, in the brokenness of our world, we're struggling with our own sin and our own issues. Let it point to you being our assurance, nothing else, to you being our salvation. And this morning, if people are there wrestling with that, be with them, comfort them. Let them come to you in their assurance. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.